Our topic has been for the last several weeks, biblical worship. And one of the reasons I have loved this series, because I'm convinced that a lot of what's going on in America today, they call it worship, but it's not biblical. I was listening to John MacArthur, a clip of his this past week. Uh, if anybody knows John MacArthur, he tells it like it is. He interviewed Ben Shapiro about, what, almost two years ago now. And uh, Ben Shapiro said to John MacArthur, do you realize you offend a lot of people? He said, that's my job. The gospel is offensive. And it is. Now, he went on to say, it's not my intention to be rude and offend for no reason. But when you preach the gospel, people will be offended. But he made a statement this week, and I thought, wow, I wish I'd have said that. But he said, you know, a lot of churches have what they call worship leaders. He said, they're not worship leaders. All they do is sing poetry and put it to music. He said, worship is here. It's a preaching of the Word of God, and I agree with that. We had a lady who visited here a couple of years ago. I lived very close to the church, and she liked the church, but she says, you need more music. That may be true to a degree, but we need more of this than anything else. We need more of the Word of God. So that's why this series is near to my heart, near and dear to my heart. Tonight we're going to be in Deuteronomy 26, and I wouldn't, we read it last week, but I want to read it again, 11 verses. And then we're going to go back and glean from these verses some principles about the sacrifice of biblical worship. And follow along as I read, because I think there's some exciting things here. Well, it's God's Word. It's got to be exciting. But even here in Deuteronomy, look what it says, chapter 26, verse 1 through 11. And it shall be... When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possesses it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy hand, I'm sorry, of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, to a place his name there. Now we know now that place is Jerusalem. God says, take it there. And thou shalt go unto the priest. That shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand, and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian, ready to perish, was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few, and there and became there a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. Let me stop here for a moment. Folks, if you don't see the hand of God there, you can't see it. 
Let's move on. Verse 6. And the Egyptians in, evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid us upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness, with signs and with wonders. And he has brought us unto this place and has given us this land, even a land that floweth of milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and notice this, and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house, thou and the Levites and the stranger that is among you. What a passage of Scripture. God is telling the Israelites, when you come into the land, the land that I promised to give you, they're not there yet, but God says you will. You will be there. God says I want you to take of the first fruits of that land. I want you to put it in a basket and go to the place that God chooses. And go to the priest and make a confession to him that I am in the country which God promised to give me. And I look at this text tonight and I realize, above everything else, I realize that biblical worship will always involve an element of sacrifice. Always. Now, I mentioned last week, when we were speaking about uh, worship, in its totality, in, in its essence, worship is a gift we give to God who saved us from our wretched, lost condition. How many of God's done that for you? And so worship is a gift we give back to Him for what He's done for us. And worship is approaching God like no other way we do. It is so distinct. Worship is different from prayer. Worship is different from praise. And those two items, prayer and praise, may contain worship. But by themselves, they are something altogether different. So what is prayer? Prayer is actually the obsession of our souls with the needs we have. Prayer would say, Lord, save me. Prayer says, Lord, give me. Prayer asks for things that our soul desires. And by the way, God commands us to pray. There's nothing wrong with that. But prayer in itself is not worship. So prayer is being obsessed with our needs. How many have needs tonight? Yeah, nothing wrong with that, but that's what prayer is. Praise is the obsession of our soul with his blessing. 
And I don't know about you, but I know every time I take time to consider what God has done for me, my heart breaks out in praise. Yeah. Praise says, thank you, Lord, for everything you have given me. Thank you, Lord, for everything you have done and you are doing in my life. And we can't hold it in. Praise says, thank you, Lord, for all of your many blessings, for all of your many gifts. And again, there's nothing wrong with vocal, visible praise, and we ought to do that. It honors him. He commands us to do it. But not only that, God is the only one I know who's worthy of praise. He is infinitely worthy of praise. But now, what is worship? How is it different? How is it distinct? Worship is the obsession of our soul with God himself. Think about that. Jeremy and I were reflecting back tonight in my office. Uh, even though we went two separate times, we uh, both went on the Emmaus Walk. And there's one particular thing they do that's so special. And... Uh, uh, Jeremy said, and with his, it was a highlight of the Emmaus walk, and it was for me. And I'll never forget that night, we were in the sanctuary of this church in Wilmington. Uh, we have no idea what time it was. We know it was dark. We didn't have any watches, no cell phones. The whole idea was to focus on the Lord. And I went over after that particular worship time, special time, and I sat over in a corner by myself. And we were assigned different tables, and I think I was a table of David, and each one had a name. And each table had a spiritual director there. And he came over to me, and he said, Brother Robin, are you okay? I said, I'm better than I've ever been. I'm just sitting here admiring God. Sitting here just enjoying the presence of God. And so worship is a focus not on myself, Worship doesn't focus on my blessings. Worship focuses on God alone. (laughs) On God alone. Worship says, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being God. Thank you for being holy. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for being loving. Thank you for saving me. And the list goes on. Worship is being caught up in adoration of God. And my friend, there is nothing better than biblical worship, adoring our God. So we began last week to look at a few truths that kind of jump out of this text. The first thing we looked at last week, and I'm just going to touch on, and that's our appreciation. How many know you cannot worship God unless you first appreciate Him? Isn't it true? Appreciation for the redemption He provides. Appreciation for His restoration in our lives. Appreciation for the rewards He gives us. And those rewards and those benefits are so many, but a few of them are everlasting life. We've been adopted into his family. We love, we have his presence. We have his provision. We have his love. We have his forgiveness. We have his advocacy. We have his indwelling presence. 
and he promised us a home in glory. I don't know about you folks, but I've got a lot to appreciate God for. He's been so good to me. And the more we learn about who we are, the more we learn about what we have been given through Jesus Christ, the more we will desire to worship Him. Simply come and adore our God. And that's why it's so important that we spend every moment we can meditating on God's grace, meditating on His love, meditating on His redemption and all the things, the blessings God pours out in our lives. And when we meditate that way, our heart will be motivated and moved to glorify and worship God out of appreciation. Tonight, I want to look at the worshiper's approach. How do we approach God in worship? Now, may I say, today in a lot of churches, people come to church like they're going to the gym. My friend, the way we approach God in worship makes all the difference in the world. These 11 verses, we read a lot of things there. A lot of great themes that ought to thrill our soul and our heart. But these verses in Deuteronomy 26 also have something to say about our attitude. The attitude that ought to get a hold of our hearts as we approach Lord God Almighty. So what are some of the attitudes we ought to have if we're going to worship Him? Number one, we've got to come with gratitude. Are you thankful for what God's done for you? Look at verse 2 through 4, Deuteronomy 26. Thou shalt take of the first fruit of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy hand that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt put it in a basket. And shalt go into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt go unto the priest and thou that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. The first command here in this chapter is to approach God with the best of the land. Gather the best of the land. And the command is clear. Take the first of all the fruit. Take it and put it in a basket and go to the place of worship. This doesn't mean after you got your part. This doesn't mean after all the other things are taken care of. God says, take the first of all the fruit. And each of those are steps. They are action steps. And they were the actions of someone who really appreciated what God has done for them. 
Now remember, they were to remember the only reason they were in that land is because God brought them there. No other reason. And so the worshiper would take the blessing the Lord had given them, in which he gives them, and he takes that as a willing sacrifice. Now think about this, to the glory of the Lord. And my friend, that is gratitude in action. Lord, you've done so much for me. Here's what I bring to you. I am convinced that this is a principle for you and I to learn today. Because when you and I approach the Lord in worship, we ought to be grateful for everything he's done for us. Everything he's done for us. So in a spiritual sense, we ought to fill our baskets with thanksgiving for his blessings. And we come to his house ready to offer that thanksgiving to him. And my friend, that offering will be a sweet-smelling savor to God. An offer of thanksgiving. The problem with a lot of churchgoers in America today, when they come to church, they come wanting something from God. Think about that one. We need to develop a heart filled with gratitude for what God has done for us and bring a gift to give Him. Can you imagine how our worship service or any worship service for any church would change if everyone came to the Lord's house Thankful for salvation, thankful for all the other spiritual blessings we have, it would change the way we worship. A heart of gratitude. The problem is, <coughs> and I must confess, there's been a lot of times I've come to God's house with an empty basket. An empty basket. We come sometimes to the Lord's house in a state of spiritual poverty with nothing to offer Him. John 4.23, you know the verse. But the hour come with the now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. So I need to ask you, does God know the difference? You know He does. God is looking for people. To worship him who will fill their baskets with gratitude for his blessings and come in his presence with a heart full of praise and worship. Exodus 23 verse 15. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee. In the time appointed the month of Abib, for in it thou camest out of Egypt. But notice the last part of that verse. And none shall appear before me empty. Now I realize the context of that verse. He's talking about uh, the unleavened bread, the feast of the unleavened bread. But I believe that it applies to any time we worship. We should never come to God 
empty. Our basket should be full of something. So, whenever we come into God's presence, whether it's corporately, like we are here tonight, or at home privately, we need to come ready to worship. Come ready to worship. The story is told of a little girl who had been outside playing. And she goes into the house, and her mother is working, you know, around the house. And she just gets a chair, and she sits down. Well, after a few moments, her mother notices her sitting there, and, and she says to her little girl, Well, honey, what do you want? The little girl said back to her mother, I don't want anything. I just want to sit here and look at you and love you. And then how we ought to approach God. Lord, I didn't come tonight to want anything. I don't come to my quiet time to ask you for anything. But right now I come to worship just to watch you and to love you. So that is the spirit of gratitude. So we've got to come with gratitude. That's good. And we ought to. Second thing, we must come with obedience. Look at verse 2 again. Thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, put it in a basket, and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. Now don't miss this. God was telling the Israelites exactly how to come. He told them what to bring, and he told them where to go. And the only way to truly worship God is to follow God's plan. And by the way, God was very, very serious about that. It didn't matter who you were. You may decide, you know what? I'd rather not go there. I'd rather do it here. But if you did, God would not accept your worship. You had to follow his plan. God says to bring this, but I would rather bring that. Isn't that what Cain's problem was? God is a God of details. And to deviate from God's details about worship would not be accepted as worship. Worship not only flows out of a heart that is grateful, but also it flows out of a heart that's obedient to God. We want to be obedient to God. And if we're going to worship the Lord, we have to first learn to obey His commands. John 14, Jesus says this, verse 15, If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Now, understand, worship, in fact, is love for God in action. But it also can be said that worship is obedience in action. We obey God because he loves us. And if we're going to worship the Lord, our lives have to line up with his word. We must be filled with gratitude, but we also must come with a heart that's obedient to God. And only when we are in a place of obedience 
Can we truly ever be in a place of worship? We cannot worship God and not be obedient. So we come with gratitude, we come with obedience, but the third thing is, we've got to come with humility. We pulled in tonight, and I don't remember what Pam said to me. She told me the other day, I two things, she said, I have a problem listening to what she's saying, and I forgot the other one. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, she said something, I said, I built this place. She said, you better watch what you're saying. I said, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding because if we're going to worship God, we have to come with humility. I remember years ago, my first pastor, I heard him say it a lot. He said, at the cross, all the ground is level. There's no big eyes, no little U's. We're all the same at Calvary. Deuteronomy, look at verse 5 through 9, 26. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God. Now think about this. You come with that basket with your offering. You put it down. Give it to the priest. He puts it down before the altar. And now you speak to God. Assyrian. Ready to perish was my father. He went down into Egypt. They sojourned there with a few and became there a great nation. Great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God, of our fathers, oh, the Lord heard our voice. And you looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he's brought us to this place. He's given us this land, even the land that flows with milk and honey. God says when you get to the land, you need to take a basket with your first fruits. Take it and give it to the priest. He'll set it before the altar. And you need to make a confession before God. You're to look back and you're to remember your humble beginnings. Remember where you were and know where God has brought you to. Remember where you were when God found you. And you say before the Lord, my father, speaking of Jacob, he was just a Syrian, and he was ready to perish. How many know when that famine came, they almost perished? And from a human standpoint, there was no hope. So he was nothing but a Syrian ready to perish, that is, until God intervened. 
until God came alongside. And so as this worshiper came to God, he was to remember everything he was. He was to remember everything he had and ever hoped for. But by the pure gift of God's grace, for no other reason. And my friend, if we are going to worship God, that same attitude has to fill our hearts. We must never forget that God hates pride. You know the story of the Pharisee and the publican. And the problem was the Pharisee had pride in his heart. And it led to his damnation. And even though God hates pride, he respects. And God responds to humility. I'm always amazed when I read through the book of Kings and Chronicles. One of the worst kings in the history of Israel, or Judah, the southern kingdom, was Manasseh. And yet, toward the end of his life, he repented before God. Now, he couldn't change what he had done. But God said, Manasseh, I see your heart. And I'm going to postpone my judgment for a little while. God wants to help those who are brokenhearted. Those with a contrite spirit. Isaiah 57, look at verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite heart and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Notice this. God says he dwells in the high holy place. But he also dwells with those with a contrite heart. God responds to our brokenness. James 4 verse 6. But he, God, giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. When we remember our past, and God says in Deuteronomy to the Jews, Israelites there, remember where you came from. When we remember that we were hell-bound cinders when the Lord found us, Without hope, without God, we were sinful, we were vile, we were defiled, we were dirty. But he loved us and he saved us and brought us out of that condition. Thank God for that. Everything we have, everything we are, everything we ever hope to be is only because of his amazing, life-changing grace. We don't deserve it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You know who wrote that? The Apostle Paul. He was being ridiculed, accused by the church of Corinth. His words were weighty, but in his speech, uh, weighty, but his presence is contemptible. He's not appeared who he is, maybe. I don't know. But Paul said, whatever I am, I'm here only by the grace of God. Can you say amen? Only by the grace of God. And everything that Paul did, he said, I worked harder than they did, but he said, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God with me. And my friend Paul was serious. So know this. Pride and arrogance, it will close the door of worship. Humility will allow us to approach God and give Him the worship He desires and the worship He deserves. Come with a broken and contrite heart. So we saw our appreciation to worship, our approach. In verse 10, we see our adoration. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruit of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. So the command was, when the worshiper came before God, He was to set it before the Lord, his basket, and he was to worship before the Lord thy God. And I find it kind of interesting, he didn't approach God with a petition on his lips. He came to God with a present in his hands. Lord, this is for you. This is... My adoration, in response of my adoration for you and what you've done for me. But look what it says here. I have brought the first fruit of the land which thou, O Lord, has given me. Isn't that interesting? He was bringing a gift from the field, but he admits, Lord, I'm just giving you back what you've already given me. Isn't that great? What I'm offering you, Lord, the only reason I can offer it because you first gave it to me. Now think about this. The truth of it was, it didn't really cost him anything. Everything the worshiper gave had its origin with the Lord. God provided that. And the fact that he's willing to give it was simply a symbol of his love for God and all that God has done in his life. First Chronicles 29, verse 14. This is a prayer of David. Look what he asked. But who am I? And who are my people? 
that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. Notice this. For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you. David got it. God had blessed David tremendously. And here David is praying because God had promised him a dynasty. But David realized, Lord, what I give to you are simply a part of what you've already given to me. I'm just giving back what is rightfully yours. And church, that's how we worship today. Giving back to God what he's already given us. Bringing him the first fruits of those things to him in the form of love, adoration, and certainly in the form of worship. Bringing back to God. So yes, sacrifice does involve worship. But really, in the end, it didn't cost us anything that God didn't give us already. That God didn't provide for us. So whenever we come to worship, worship Him for who He is, worship Him for all He's done for us, we have to remember that the things He has given us cost Him everything. And Rick, I know you didn't know what I was preaching tonight on these points. But for him to satisfy our thirst cost him everything. It cost him everything. For him to forgive our sins, it forget, cost him everything. So think about this. What was the cost of his love? What was the cost of his grace? What kind of value does God place on our souls? I think John 3.16 says it the best. For God so loved the world. That's me and you. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever. Do I have any whosoever here tonight? Believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. Romans 5.8. But God commended his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a price he paid. So the gift we bring, who we are, cost God the death of his son. And that fact alone ought to bring us to our knees when we worship God. And worship him with a broken heart. So the question I've got to ask myself when I come to worship. Do I have anything in my basket today? Has the Lord done anything at all for me? And my friend, if you're a child of God, he has. He died to save your souls. Let's stand together.
So how long has it been? Don't we sing a song like that once in a while? (laughs) How long has it been since you humbled yourself before him? With a grateful heart. And just say, God, I don't want anything. I just want to sit here and be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we are even allowed to approach you in worship. And I pray, Lord, that we'll come with the right attitudes. We'll come with the right spirit. And we'll simply bow down and adore our great God and Savior. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives and what you're going to do. And Father, may we never, ever forget all you have done to bring us to this place. We pray it all and give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.